When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window. This is the podcast that not only takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football, but brings you insight and analysis on the issues that matter every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. I'm Jordan McFarlane and joining me are pundits extraordinaire Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. On today's Transfer Podcast, we bring you news on the Manchester United star on his way to PSG and as speculation mounts about Paul Pogba leaving for Zinedine Zidane's Real Madrid, we ask is Mino Raiola already in Spain? With squeaky bum time well underway, we look at the fixtures that could make or break the Premier League title challenges of Liverpool and Manchester City. And after PSG turned down the opportunity to take Jose Mourinho to Paris, we ask what's next for the special one. Okay, well, we're going to start with some news and Duncan has some inside information on a player's contract at Old Trafford. Yes, this um, is news that Ander Herrera will be leaving Manchester United at the end of the season. Um, He has agreed to join Paris Saint-Germain under freedom of contract. Um, I am told that uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been made aware of that um, by the player. Um, And uh, basically a response from Herrera to um, the Edward Wood-led refusal to meet his um, contract demands um, and the time it has taken uh, for United to um, attempt to renew his contract. Um, He's been an important player um, under all the managers he's worked with at Manchester United. I I think he's had periods under all of them where he's been out of favour and he's forced his way back into the team. I think he's uh, proved his importance again under Solskjaer and been a big element in there um, in getting them to uh, the quarterfinals of the Champions League um, and also getting them in position where they have a chance to qualify for the Champions League next season. Um, and he brings a, a, a balance to that midfield uh, that Solskjaer has been playing, which is important. But I think it's, uh, it's very telling once again um, at a time at which Manchester United are struggling to retain their best player, um, David De Gea, and they're struggling because of the way they've handled um, contract uh, negotiations with them, um, not meeting his salary to uh, demands, um, taking a long time to initiate talks, um, avoiding initiating talks early at a stage when De Gea was ready to sign a contract, leaving it to a stage where um, they've made him effectively available to suitors because they know um, De Gea will be in a, the same position as Herrera in, um, in less than a year's time, be free to negotiate pre-contract uh, with suitors. Um, it's I think it's just uh, another sign of the, of the mistakes um, Manchester United have made in terms of assessing who's valuable in their team uh, and allocating 
financial resource to retaining those key players um, instead of spending that resource uh, renewing the contracts of players who are, um, are basically unimportant to their squad and um, can't hold down a first team place. So um, no great surprise, um, but I think uh, there'll be a significant disappointment about um, Herrera's decision. And I think it's, uh, it's going to be a, a hole in the squad that Solskjaer will have to get Woodward to fill um, in this coming transfer window. I think we can probably put this one down to Alexis Sanchez again, can't we? Um, Herrera is 29. Um, I think his minutes, um, playing minutes, are something like four times that of Sanchez. Uh, Sanchez is 30 years old, um, is now in his what uh, sort of one year or one year, two months into his Manchester United contract, on, you know, reportedly under, just under £400,000 a week. Herrera, my understanding, was, was looking for around 180000 a week. And of course, at 29, um, as we all know, this is a player of that age's uh, chance to get his last big contract. Uh, to make you know that that last sort of investment both in his career but also for his financial future, and therefore it's not surprising that um, Herrera is, is opted to leave since Manchester United won't meet the uh, the wages that he's requested. And this, you know, I say it's on Alexis. It's actually on Edward, but as, as Duncan has said, um, in terms of the the mismanagement of contracts at Manchester United, you see players like Chris Smalling and Phil Jones much less important players to the team than Herrera is, um, being given new contracts. But, of course, in their position, no one else probably wants to buy them or invest in them. Um, and then you've got, you know, I said, whether Sanchez ever can come good at Manchester United is a very much uh, a big question for the club and for Laguna Solskjaer, who has inherited that problem um, in terms of the player's attitude, um, the, the jealousy he causes in the dressing room because of his wages, because of his... Uh, way of comporting himself, um, uh, you know, he seems to be almost cons- consistently injured or having niggling injuries, and then he goes off to Barcelona for treatment. Other players get offended and, you know, and quite, you know, understandably frustrated um, that Sanchez appears to do, he does what he wants, but except actually play and contribute to the team. So um, I think it's a blow for Manchester United. And yeah, you think about the money now being banded around in terms of recruitment for players, even average players, then what does it cost to replace Ander Herrera? Uh, you know, this is, a, a, again, questions that Woodward must answer. And we're now looking at a situation where um, they have a problem with Paul Pogba. Um, obviously, they can retain Pogba if they decide to do so, but we've in the past week, we've seen Paul Pogba give a press conference stating his uh, strong interest in playing for Real Madrid. Um, and then Zidane gave a press conference saying that um, he would like to bring Paul Pogba to Real Madrid. Now, those two things don't mean Pogba will be a Real Madrid player at the end of the summer. But um, it complicates life for Manchester United because you can be sure that Mino Raiola, uh, Pogba's agent, will be attempting to exploit that situation. Um, Is he already in Madrid, Duncan? No, as I was saying, it doesn't mean he will be at Madrid at the end of the season. I'm talking about Mino. Is he in a (laughs) pizza restaurant there? (laughs) I don't know where Mino is at the moment. I mean, he's got quite a few uh, deals on his plate. He's uh, he's handling the Delicht, or part handling the Delicht transfer out of Ajax. Um, So you're looking at a a probably 100 million euro deal with uh, multiple. Uh, top clubs interested. Um, 
And, he's, and, so he's and, only an hour away then, Duncan. He's in Barcelona, so he's only an hour away from Madrid <laughs> by flight. So he'd be all right. He could probably do both transfers in one day. I could, uh, could get Barcelona and Madrid presidents in a room together and do the do studios. <laughs> save, save some money on on the on the on the, the lunch bill. Um, but pizza. but uh, you, you're determined to get that line out there. I can tell, Johnny. For those of you who don't know, Mino used to be a waiter in a pizza restaurant in Holland before he became a well-known football agent. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why he always gets a slice of every transfer. <laughs> Um, but look, the the thing with with this is um, you've got a double problem for Manchester United in that they will, will obviously want to retain Pogba, but Pogba's coming to two years left in his contract. So um, if you look at the reason they've got problems with De Gea and you look at the reason that they're losing Herrera is because they've left contracts to, to run down uh, too long. Pogba is obviously a player they want to retain, but they're getting in that period where um, the cost of retrain, retaining him, if they can convince Raiola and Pogba to do that, is going to get more and more expensive because they've allowed the, the contract to get too close um, to that, that deadline. Or they have it presented to them by Raiola and Pogba that we are going to leave to, to Real Madrid. Um, uh, Zidane wants us. They're pushing for that move. Um, this is what we want to do. Uh, you can either let us go this summer um, and make a significant amount of the transfer fee, or we will wait for a year's time until the, the potential transfer fee comes down, or even for two years and then go. But um, once, once you get yourself in a situation where your top players are thinking about going elsewhere because they think because they see more attractive clubs um, wanting to sign them. Uh, better financial terms available elsewhere, which is the case um, with De Gea and would be the case with Pogba. Um, and you as a club are struggling to, to even play Champions League, never mind compete for a domestic title. It becomes tough um, to, to convince these players to stay. And um, this now, this summer, you've got Pogba with an issue over Pogba and losing Herrera. So that's two, potentially two big midfield um, replacements would be required if, if you were to lose both of them, which would be disastrous, I think, given the, the state of Manchester United's squad as it stands and the fact that they've got you know, everyone can can see they've got significant restructuring work to do um, to the, the squad as it stands to make it competitive. Never mind taking away um, two of their more important players on top of that. And we should remember as well that Manchester United had an open goal on this one last summer because Paul Pogba returned to Old Trafford as a World Cup winning player. And Mino Raiola, whatever you think about him, quite rightly said to Pogba. You're a World Cup winner now. You're my client. I'm going to go to Manchester United and demand a new contract, which gives you parity with Alexis Sanchez or indeed exceeds what he earns. And Manchester United could have, at that time, put an extension into Pogba's contract, given them the extra 100 grand a week or whatever it is. I know this all sounds like your monopoly money to most people, but this, that's how football works. Extend his contract by three years, so he's got five years left in his contract come this summer now. And instead, they said, no, no, he's got three years left in his contract. We don't have to give him any more money. And the only result you get from that 
is a player who is, you know, pissed off, basically, with his club. Because he has been told by everyone around him, you're the best player in the world, you're the best midfielder in the world, why aren't you the highest paid player at your club? You won the World Cup, you come back, they expect you to be a leader on the field and everything else, and yet they're not paying you the right amount of money. And, you know, people have to understand that football players are very aware of their own worth and their value. By that I mean not the transfer value, but they're worth to the team and therefore they're worth financially by what they get paid. And so if they're not happy with what they're being paid or they feel they should be getting more, then they, that will affect them and it will turn their head towards Real Madrid. And what we know for sure is that Real Madrid have a 300 million euro transfer budget this summer, minimum. Now, as we've discussed, lots of times, Neymar is the number one target. However, let's just suppose Neymar is absolutely ring-fenced at PSG for at least another season. You could buy Hazard and Pogba for less than the money you'd have to pay for Neymar. And you significantly increase the strength of the Real Madrid squad for next season. And remember, Luka Modric is now almost 33. He needs to be replaced. And although Pogba prefers to play on wide left of a three, he can play, as we know, in a central two, in a double pivot. Therefore, he would be fine. Uh, to, to go to the Real Madrid midfield, central midfield. And then he could play as a number 10 at Madrid as well. So this is a big problem for Manchester United. I think it's one which I, I think, and I think Duncan's correct in saying, their head's in the sand on this one. And um, this is going to run. This one is going to run because Madrid have not just the leverage, but they have the money as well. And United will be faced with a very hard question as to whether they swallow their prize and give them a new contract, or they decide to cash in now on him and sell him in the summer. But, again, replacing Herrera and Pogba, I would like to be in Solskjaer's position. Well, we're fast approaching the period that Alex Ferguson used to call squeaky bum time. And with Liverpool and Manchester City duking it out for the Premier League title, we thought it'd be a good time to have a look at their fixtures as they fall in the upcoming games and see where we think there could be potential for dropping of points. So, Ian? I think this is, you know, after what happened uh, last weekend, I think we, we're all waiting for, the, for one or other to drop points and it's not happening. And then, as we saw, Liverpool go out and score... Uh, an added time winner for the third time this season to take all three points. So again, if Liverpool had failed, they would already be probably the title would have been lost to them without those three added time goals. And of course, uh, Hugo Lloris did not exactly cover himself in glory. Uh, in fact, he was almost as much of a villain as uh, as Alfredo Morelos was at Celtic Park uh, in the way he managed to uh, make a mistake and, and, and let that goal in. Now, personally, I don't see either team winning every match until the end of the season. Remember, the situation as it stands is Manchester City have a game in hand, and that's against Cardiff City uh, this week. If they win that, they'll be two points clear of Liverpool, and then it's in their hands. So if they did go unbeaten to the end of the season, and by that I mean winning every game, not drawing either, then the, the title would be theirs. In terms of whose bum's squeaking loudest, at this moment I'd say it'd have to be Liverpool's, given that, that they've not played well, I think for the last three or four months, minimum. They've not been playing well, um, certainly not as well as we saw them play in the second half of last season when they reached the Champions League final, nor indeed in the first half of this. So I think Liverpool are more prone, um, but they do have the easier run in, Johnny. That's the thing. They play uh, Huddersfield Town, um, who have already been relegated, as they were last weekend. Uh, they also play Southampton, who are relegation threatened. The only top six club they now have to play is Chelsea at home, and that is uh, a week I think next Sunday, I think it is, that game is next Sunday, uh, or for the following Sunday, in between the Champions League ties. That's right, it's, it's a week on Sunday coming. So, 
with only Chelsea to play and Liverpool uh, having an easier run than City, I'd say, yeah, it's going to be tight still. It's going to be very tight. But with Neil Warnock threatening to play under 23s against Manchester City in protest at the ridiculous decisions um, that went against him in terms of the, the goal, uh, as Piliqueta's goal uh, against Cardiff City yesterday, then uh, that could be a, you know, an easy three points for, for City right there and then. But City, for me, and Duncan, I think you'd be the best man to analyse this. Their key game's got to be at Old Trafford, hasn't it? I think, I think, yeah, I think the the Old Trafford game is obvious, obviously the one that stands out. But um, Manchester United aren't playing very well at the moment. They were really fortunate to take uh, three points from Watford on Saturday, who outplayed them for most of the game. And um, <laughs> I think Manchester United is a bizarre thing to say. Um, it's like a real Hobson's choice for them. But I think a lot of the Manchester United supporters would not be unhappy if Manchester City won the league this season. I think their preference is, is for um, Liverpool to, um, to fail at the final hurdle again. Um, so if the toughest game, perhaps, is, uh, is playing Tottenham, I think, for Manchester City, particularly having to play Tottenham um, in the Champions League, immediately before it. I think that makes it um, makes it more interesting and, uh, and and harder for them in terms of you know tactical variations and the sort of repetition of playing the, the same team over and over again in in uh, high stakes games. Crystal Palace away is another one that doesn't uh, look um, endearing. Um, we know from the documentary how little he likes to attend Crystal Palace away. True, there's a, there's that as well, um, I, and even Brighton um, last game of the season could have a lot on it for Brighton if they haven't uh, secured uh, their Premier League status by that stage. So they've definitely got the harder run in, um, and they've also got the factor of having to play at least um, one. FA Cup tie again against Brighton um, and amongst that um, possibly having the, the FA Cup final at the end of the season too um, so yes City have got the harder running but on the other on the other side of that you have to say that City look the, the better uh, team I, in fact I don't think there's any question that if you, you, you ask who's been the better football team over the course of the season Manchester City have been the better football team this season, and they, they're certainly the team in form. Um, you know, Liverpool have barely played um, a good game this year. The Bayern Munich away um, leg, which was fantastic, I think is the only time we've seen the Liverpool of the first half of the season um, since January. Uh, they are, you know, they're, they're they're stumbling through games and. Um, you know, I asked the question after the match uh, yesterday, have we ever seen um, a club have so much fortune um, in a title race? And asked it partly because you just look at the goalkeeping errors um, alone, um, you know, absolutely bizarre goalkeeping errors that have handed them eight points this season. You've got Pickford, Jordan Pickford, um, in the Merseyside derby in the last minute. Um, Julian Speroni, um, at Anfield when he uh, chucked it into the path of Salah to score an easy goal. 
Sergio Rico's rugby tackle um, to give Liverpool the penalty that, that let them get out of Fulham with three points. And then Hugo Lloris failing to catch a ball which which you know was essentially if, if his defend one of his defenders had given to it, you'd think that's an easy back pass to hold, um, which then bounces off off Aldo Vareld into the net. So um, the degree of fortune with just with goalkeepers alone and the number of points that that that's given Liverpool kind of shows you um, that they're they're ahead of where they should be. Um, there's a lot of talk about well, after every match this happens, I think you see you see analysts saying, well, that shows you that Liverpool, it's Liverpool's year for the title because um, because it's the, the the luck is going with them because um, they're managing to persevere to end of games and, and get get results. Um, I, t- I don't really buy that kind of analysis. I don't. I, I think luck is luck. It, it's good fortune. Um, they've had a lot of good fortune. They've had a, they've also had a lot of, of refereeing decisions in their favour. Um, I think the fundamental, the fundamentals are that they're not playing particularly well, uh, and therefore you would see them dropping further points at some some point before the end of the season. If they do that, Manchester City have the advantage in terms of the points that they've already got on the board. They should um, go back on top against Cardiff in midweek, as Ian's saying. And uh, they've got a bigger, a, a greater depth of squad. Um, why? Because they've got better resources. They've got a greater depth of, depth of squad, um, a greater range of play. Got a lot more creativity about them. Um, I think the, the one of the, the, the funny things for me about this title running is the way Klopp persists in playing Jordan Henderson or um, James Milner in midfield and leaving Fabinho out and uh, and there's a real lack of creativity in, in Liverpool's midfield three which we saw again against Tottenham where um, second half they were just they, they created nothing um, because they don't have someone who can who can pass the ball forward from midfield they're dependent on their fullbacks um, to make chances for them uh, fortunately Maurizio Pochettino set up in a way that allowed uh, Robertson and Alexander-Arnold lots of freedom in the first half um, which allowed Liverpool to get their goal but once Pochettino had, had sorted out that tactical mistake he'd made at half time the game was only going one way and um, you know you not only have the Loris incident you have um, Sissoko managing to, to miss the target from 16 yards with a with with just a goalkeeper to beat um, with five minutes left which, which would have uh, Probably have turned that game into a defeat rather than, uh, than than even the draw it should have been. So, yeah, the, the run-ins going to be interesting. It's going to be dramatic. But um, I think if you if you ask me where my money is, my money's still in Manchester City. I think one of the stark contrasts of the weekend's um, performances of the top two teams as well uh, was evident in the way that Manchester City went out early kickoff on Saturday, scored two goals. Okay. Defensive errors from Fulham, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Bernardo Silva and Sergio Aguero, all they had to do was do enough. And you talk about luck. I would take mental fortitude over luck every time. And you need mental fortitude to win a league title. And City have that. They have players who have won the title before. They have players who are extremely confident in whoever comes into play. Significantly, Kevin De Bruyne came back into the team on Saturday as well. And that. It, absolutely shows you exactly the resources that Duncan's talking about when De Bruyne missed 
almost all of this season through injury. But when it comes to the crucial part of the run-in, he's fit again. They've been able to leave him out and still win matches, so not risking him by bringing him back too early. Um, and he was their, their most important player uh, last season when they won the title. And he's coming back into the team at exactly the time when they've got an FA Cup semi-final, uh, Champions League quarter-finals, uh, ties against Tottenham, and obviously they're running the league title as well. So um, I, I'd say I'm with Duncan as well. I don't believe that this, uh, you know, your name's on the trophy type um, fatalistic point of view is correct. I think that's the romantics uh, rather than the analysts who are saying that. And, um, you know, Roman's never won a football match. To be to be fair to Liverpool, they they, they are definitely showing mental fortitude. Um, they are adhering and sticking in and getting results um, that they don't deserve in in several of these games. So um, they haven't fallen apart. They haven't um, they haven't uh, lost Yet. it because of the pressure. <laughs> no, but they, they, they they've they've taken it deep into the season. Um, yeah. And they've come back at important times in games, and they've given themselves a chance because of that. So, um, but I, but I also take your point about City, and one of the things that's been impressive about City, and one of the things that that Guardiola asked them to do and wanted to see from this from this season was that ability to apply your skills, um, you know. And they, they clearly Manchester City know they're the best team in the, in, in England. Um, from what's happened over the last two years. They know they have the beating of, of all their opponents in terms of skill on the pitch and the way they play the game. The question Mark Guardiola had about them was, can you do it a second season in a row? Do you have the commitment to um, to put that on the field in all the competitions when it's being asked of you? And, and they have come back from, let's face it, a huge deficit in the Premier League to, um, to get themselves into the point of being favourites to win it, um, and they're they're still competing on all fronts. So that they've shown um, what um, what people questioned whether they would have, most notably what their manager questioned whether they would have. So um, yeah, it's look, it's it's good, it's great. We're getting a proper title race between two very good football teams, and we haven't had that. Uh, in the Premier League for a long time. We kind of forget that we haven't had that in the Premier League for a long time because we sort of get lost with this best league in the world stuff. Um, and it, it's great that we have that. And on top of that, we have the, the other four um, most prominent teams scrapping for uh, two Champions League places underneath them. So it's a fine finish to the season. We should enjoy it. Duncan's column in the Daily Record on Saturday was a fascinating look at what's next for Jose Mourinho. It seems that PSG have turned down the opportunity to take the Portuguese manager for next season. Duncan, where's he going to end up? Not sure where he's going to end up. I think that the Paris Saint-Germain situation is is very interesting because uh, Mourinho had targeted that job. Um, he'd looked at the, the, the jobs that could become available this summer um, at the options for him to go back into management. He's made it clear that he wants to be managing again next season. He's made it clear he wants to know his job as early as possible so he can start preparing for that next season. He's put himself in the market. He's given a lot of interviews, done a lot of media work, um, talking about what he wants and what his plans are going forward. He's travelled to Qatar on multiple occasions, um, done obviously a lot of um, commentary work with uh, Qatari broadcaster being 
but um, there have been meetings over there with uh, major decision makers at Paris Saint-Germain, and it's been made clear to them that Mourinho is ready, was ready to take that job if the conditions were right um, going into this season, a job that he'd been offered um, three times previously and had turned down. Um, most recently, very, very well, basically agreed to take the job in 2016, but they couldn't come to, they hadn't sorted out the uh, the financial details of his contract um, by the time Manchester United came in and made a decision um, to hire him. Uh, so he went to Manchester United instead, but as a, a close friend of his said, he had a, a foot and a half in the door at Paris at that time. Um, and I think there was, a, there was an element of regret once he got into... Uh, into the Manchester United role um, after a while and saw the, the, the big problems that the club had that, um, that he hadn't taken uh, Paris Saint-Germain. And I think if you, if you look back to some of the press conferences, there was a, there was a notable one where people were asking uh, about Manchester United's performance. I think he said something along the lines of, I could have chosen to be in another league and have a, have a league, league title in in the, the pocket and various other trophies, almost guaranteed, and uh, be fighting for the Champions League now, but I chose to come here instead. I think that was quite revelatory. Um, however, he's made himself available to Paris Saint-Germain. There have been doubts over Thomas Tuchel's future because, ironically, Solskjaer um, knocked PSG out of the Champions League uh, in the fashion they did. But from what I'm told, um, Qatar has made a decision and that Tuchel will remain in position and they will, and he is to be given a contract extension. Um, therefore, that job is off the table. Um, Real Madrid, Mourinho turned it down uh, when he was asked to replace Lopetegui. Um, when things were going wrong for him at Manchester United, he refused to leave United at that point. Uh, didn't want the Madrid job. Zidane now has Madrid as a long-term position um, with big backing from Florentino Perez in the transfer market to, to turn the club around. The other, I think, most prominent of Mourinho's suitors has been Inter. Um, but Mourinho has had question marks about that role in the sense that if he goes back to Inter, he has to take on Juventus, who've won title after title in Italy and are far stronger than any of their opponents and are, are real candidates for the Champions League. Um, so he would want to know that Inter, who've had a pretty turbulent period over the last few years, under new ownership but not really sorted themselves out, um, financial fair play problems, um, not the greatest of squads, would be in a position to uh, have a restructuring um, and, and allow the manager to set the club in a way that they would be competitive in Serie A and would have a chance in the Champions League. Um, and I, I think his doubts about that led him to deciding that Paris would have been a more attractive uh, location. But Paris isn't going to happen now. Um, we wait and see whether he um, becomes more open to enter um, because he sees... Uh, the French option gone and the Spanish option gone. Um, possibly something else will open up, but um, it's, it's looking harder. It's, uh, it's, 
He's, he's, he's never managed football. in uh, German football, Duncan. Is that not something that would uh, interest him from a sporting point of view? I think there's, look, there's a clear interest in managing in another league, um, another of, of Europe's major divisions and winning a title in another country. Um, he's, you know, he's already he said publicly that he'd like to win um, a, a fifth uh, title uh, title in a different country uh, and I think we've become the first manager ever to, to do that um, he wants to win another Champions League um, and and do it at a third different team so yes I think you have to say that Germany would be attractive if there was a, an opportunity to open up but Germany is, would be harder for him because he doesn't speak German mm. um, you know, he speaks French speaks Italian uh, speak Spanish, speech English, but Germans, Germany, German is a fundamentally different language, and I think would be would be much more difficult for him to pick up than any of the, the Latin languages he's he's uh, learned in the short period of time to move to those countries. So you've also, if it, if you're talking about Germany, you're probably talking Borussia Dortmund or Bayern Munich as a, as the only real option. So you have to have those clubs. Uh, make an invitation um, before it's even a, a real consideration. Well, because I think Bayern Munich is a possibility in terms of the job opening up, but whether or not Jose would want to take on a, a job where um, the bureaucracy that he experienced and the disconnect between um, the football department and the uh, administrators is quite similar. And by that, I mean, you've got legends like Rimenega, um, who in a very strong power base there have been for years uh, get involved in transfer dealings they've effectively oversaw the decline of that club and allowed that squad to age to the point where it needs massive restructuring and, and despite the fact as we spoke about last week on the pod the um, the investment in, in two new fullbacks the two French international fullbacks um, it's going to need a lot more than that to, to get Bayern Munich I mean, winning the Bundesliga is not that difficult for Bayern Munich, it's been more difficult this season because of uh, Borussia Dortmund's excellent um, sco- young squad and, and and very good manager. But um, so winning a league title would probably be fairly straightforward for Mourinho in Germany. But like Champions League is the one that you know would probably elude him if he went if he did opt to go to Germany. I can see him going back to Italy much more um, easily than I can see him going to Germany. Italy is an easier move for him because his status is extremely high there. Um, two seasons, one. This one Serie A both seasons and the only coach to have won a, um, a treble of um, Coppa Italia, Serie A and Champions League in a single season centre. Um, so um, he knows the league and he's well regarded there and he speaks the language. Um, it, it's, a, it's a much easier fit. But, you know, it, as, um, you know, the, the obvious, in some ways, the obvious opportunity in Italy would be Juventus because, as we've discussed in the podcast, Max Allegri uh, is ready to leave that um, Juventus at the end of the season if the right opportunity comes up for him or even to take a sabbatical. So then you would say that's the job to target. But um, uh, Mourinho, because he won the Scudetto twice in a row at Inter and was a direct rival of Juventus, is persona non grata and, and 
Torino, uh, and the chances of um, Juventus offering him that job are extremely low, and and would be very difficult for him to move there. It would be a bit like um, Mourinho taking over at Liverpool. Um, there's just so much uh, bad blood uh, between manager and supporters that uh, you, I don't think it's a realistic option at any point now. If the worst comes to the worst, Duncan, there's always a job in West London this summer. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, with that, I think it's time to move on to the heroes and villains section. Um, this is where we look at who's been good and who's been bad over the course of the weekend. Duncan, I'm going to start you off. Who's your hero? Uh, I think we have to go for the the, the hero of Anfield this weekend. Um, the man who turned um, despairing situation into another glorious three points on Liverpool's march to the Premier League title, and that would be Hugo Lloris. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find that the next time we see you, Duncan. Bit of vinegar for Hugo there. Ian, who's your villain? Well, listen, villain V for villain, V for VAR. It's got to only be one set of villains uh, from this weekend, and that is the match officials at Cardiff City. Um, Cesar Aspilicueta's equalising goal could not have been more offside. I mean, if my granny were still alive and, and, a, and a qualified match official, she'd have flagged it. And um, and yet still, uh, it was allowed to stand. And uh, New Warlock's not the most popular person, um, generally speaking, never mind in English football. But um, I think he had a definitely um, good point when he said, best league in the world, worst officials in the world. <laughs> Well, with that, we're going to wrap this particular transfer window up. But fear not, we'll be back on Wednesday, as usual, to fulfil all your podcasting needs. And of course, that's the day where we answer your questions. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter. You can follow us at Transfer Podcast or us individually at Johnny R. McFarlane for me, at Garbo SJ for Ian and at Duncan Castles for Mr. Castles. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review as this helps us reach as many listeners as possible. Until Wednesday, thanks for listening.